Hey, this is Andy Lucas, pastor of Emmaus Road Church in Fort Collins, Colorado. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this message helps you grow in your walk with Christ. If you'd like to support this ministry, visit theroadfc.org and click the giving link. As a bit of an introduction, this psalm flows really nicely from Psalm 1. The two of them can kind of be read together. So uh, follow along with me up here or in your Bible or on your phone or wherever you're most comfortable with that. Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. Amen. Amen. Um, So hearing that psalm read, read aloud can provoke a little bit of anxiety, and I'll confess that when Andy emailed me Psalm 2, I got a little bit of anxiety. Um, we're looking at all this talk of kings and rulers and wrath and swift destruction. And, and I thanked Andy already for the privilege, the generosity of sharing this one with me in particular. Um, but looking into this psalm, I think we find, uh, as, as much as it can stress us out a little bit, we find a unique relationship between faith and politics, um, the life we have publicly and the life we have privately with God. So we're going to get into that a little bit this morning. Um, I think what's important when we look at the Psalms is to remember that first and foremost, they're a book of prayers, right? They're, they're the prayers of God's people. They're meant to be read aloud. They're meant to be, um, where do we go with that? They're meant to be sung aloud. They're meant to be meditated on. And so getting into them and trying to dissect them and find out exactly what they mean Sometimes we get something. Sometimes we find out that they're more descriptive of the case of what's going on in the world rather than prescriptive. Um, So in this psalm, we see a world that feels all too familiar, right? There's chaos and there's rulers moving around all over the place. And yet we look at it and right in the middle, we find this sort of calm spot of God at the center. And that's where we're going to focus in today. Because if Psalm 1 gave us this individual rhythm of what it means to follow God and how refusing the way of following God can lead to all sorts of gnarly destruction. Um, In Psalm 2, we see the same rhythms but sort of stretched out on a macro scale, right? We see the cost of this disobedience to God on an individual level starting to have consequences among the nations and the rulers and and the powers. And this is where we're reminded (laughs) that our own choices have global effects, Right, Because the people who are in power as kings and rulers and leaders of nations and those sorts of things all started out in most of the same way most of us started out, right? Um, as people making choices and following the life ahead of us. And, um, 
seeing God and either choosing to follow or finding God a bit scary and oppressive and trying to do things our own way. So we're going to look through the psalm in kind of sections, narrative chunks. Um, Read back over the first one again. Why do the nations conspire and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. So what we have here is the psalmist looking at the world around him. It was probably him. It was probably David. And... uh, and making, making some observations about what's going on. The strength of psalms like this is that they remind us that we're not the first ones to see chaos among the nations, right? We're not the first to look at the world and say, what's going on? Where have we landed? Um, keeping track of all the headlines and such. So then we also, when we read the psalms, it saves us from the assumption that we're the first ones to try and bring this, uh, this chaos before God. And I don't, (laughs) we're not going to dance too much with political commentary this morning, but I don't believe we can read Psalm 2 and gloss over the references to kings and nations and just assume that that's an antiquated way of life and that um, since we discovered democracy, we haven't had these sorts of problems. Because I think (laughs) anytime we get somebody in power, right, we see this impulse to create strong, independent systems and... um, that relationship with God becomes very tense. So the psalmist is real stressed out, right? He's vexed, he's troubled, he's confused by the world around him. Um, and we see, we see similar things, right? Because if you've been watching the news at any point in the last, we're just going to go with 10 years, okay? Because there's something that's happened in the last 10 years that stressed you out. Um, and there's probably something that's happened in the last 10 months that stressed you out, where you've been paying attention to some leader of a, uh, of a nation or a corporation or a church, um, some sort of political system that you've looked at and wondered, isn't this all some sort of empty conspiracy or vain plot, or aren't they trying to overthrow the will of God in the world? Um, and oftentimes this comes to us from people who are claiming that God is on their side, right? And so that gets, that gets confusing, that gets stressful. And um, we look around and we see politicians who are using power for their own ends. Nations which have lost the sort of central commands to love God and to love one another. And groups of people for whom the commands of God to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly have been turned on their heads and turned into systems of injustice and cruelty, and conceited ambition. Um, there's some scenario that's popping into your mind as we're thinking about things like this, and, uh, and this is how power fortifies itself, right? Um, it, uh, it disregards the invitation to walk humbly after God, to seek after justice, and asserts its own way in all of these things. And if there wasn't some scenario that's popped into your mind this morning, if your lives have been completely untouched by injustice or cruelty or uh, ambitious pride, then I would encourage us to see that as an invitation to repent, um, to open our eyes and to find that perhaps we've been part of those systems that are oppressing people. Um, 
in a, of way, in, a, in a number of ways by plotting to achieve our own ends. This happens on the scale of individual relationships, this happens on the scale of family relationships, and this happens on the scale of national relationships. Um, because the rulers in this psalm are seeking to get out from under the thumb of God, right? Um, the law of God feels like oppression, the freedom that God offers feels like the enemy of your power. And this is the sin that traces all through the Bible, right? We see this in Adam and Eve. We see this in the Tower of Babel. We see this when the Israelites wandered around in the desert for 40 years. It's any time where we see the life offered by God and believe that we can devise a better system. Um, as Americans, we're very into systematic thinking, right? We have our educational systems, our political systems, our... Um, churches are set up with stacks and stacks and stacks of levels of authority. And um, the way that we set all these things up, in some cases, is very good and very healthy and, and very helpful. But in some cases, we end up having more trust in those systems than we do in God. And that's, that's part of the problem with these rulers in Psalm 2. So we've got that all stacked up. And then the psalmist takes us to God's response which comes in the next few verses. He says, The one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. Um, Rebuke and anger and wrath are all very exciting things to preach on, and I've seen people get very wound up about it. And if you have any questions about the nature of the wrath of God, you can direct those to Andy after the service. Because what was most surprising to me here and what I wanted to talk about a little bit was the laughter of God. Uh, we get into the middle of this, and I found it both comforting and completely infuriating. Because <laughs> when, when I start to pay attention to the problems of the world, and if, if you spend, like me, probably a little bit too much time scrolling through your internet news feeds, or if you're like people I know who stay home and watch cable news all day, and I don't care what network it is, all they're trying to do is make you scared. Like, that's, that's what cable news does. Um, but, but whatever you've been paying attention to, you don't think the response is probably going to be laughter. Um, and so you kind of want to scream at God, right? Like, nothing about this is funny. Nothing about this is, this is very serious. There's a lot going on. This person has the power to do some very serious harm to a lot of people in the world. And then you realize that these contests that we're having over territory and power and those sorts of things pale in comparison to the power and the territorial rights of God, right? So God kind of looks out over all of this, and he's like, man, you all are real stressed out about whose flag goes where and who's, you know, who's the king of the mountain in, in which particular setting. And I was working through this, and I kind of got this image of a bunch of small children playing in the backyard, right? And... It's a yard that's set up for children. There's all sorts of fun things to play with. And one little girl has hunkered down over here in the sandbox. And this is her sandbox, right? And if, you know, if her big brother comes with 10 feet of the sandbox, she starts throwing it at him, and she's building sandcastles, and she's, like, she's very, very parked out over here. But that's cool because her brother, like, okay, I can't have the sandbox. He goes over to the swing set and climbs up to the top and starts, like, taping on all these flags that he's painted. So he's parked up over here. She's got that. The smallest child is hanging out in the landscaping with the rocks because rocks are, like, the best toy of all the toys in my childhood. Anyways, and, uh, and so the smallest one is just stacking up these rocks and, and gets real territorial if anybody tries to stack them differently or something like that. Um, 
And so all these, <laughs> all these children are so insistent on protecting their own territory that they've lost the joy of playing together, right? There's, there's, no, uh, there's no games going on. There's no anything like that. We're all just sort of bunkered down. And what's interesting is this is happening under the watchful eye of the parents who are sitting on the back deck and just sort of smiling, right? They're sipping sweet tea or kombucha or whatever you Colorado people are into these days. Um, <laughs> They're sitting on the back deck and smiling because they know that no matter how many lines the children's draw, right, or where these flags get put up here, um, that the yard doesn't belong to the children. So there's no real stress out, right, about how they're dividing it up. Um, although in many cases, the yard doesn't belong to the parents either because it's rented property or it still belongs to the bank or, or something like that. But we're going to go with the parents as like the top level of authority here. So... <laughs> If the parents decide to take the sandbox and swap it out for a vegetable garden, right, or chop down the swing set for firewood, the kingdoms that the children have invested so much in will vanish. Um, and, and this just took me back to this, like, like the earth is the Lord's, right, and everything in it belongs to him. Um, from the beginning, we hear the stories of Adam and Eve being entrusted with the care of creation. And we have this deep responsibility not just to care for our own, like, swing set or sandbox or pile of rocks is my personal favorite, um, but not just to care for these places, but to engage in responsible caring for all of creation and, and to work together to do that. And this responsibility doesn't come to us because these people and places are ours, but because they're gods. Um, and... Uh, yeah, the, the way that he responds, the way that this anger and terror is provoked kind of carries this urgency of a parent who's seen the child pick up the rock and is about, is about to throw it at their sibling, right? It's, it's not this anger of, I'm, I'm standing up here on this high place and I have this hatred for you, but it's this anger that's, that's protective and says, what are you doing? Um, the, the kingdom has already been established, Right? This, this response, which stresses out all the rulers of the nations, is that there already is a king. Um, and this calls forward to the nature of Jesus as the Messiah, as the king who's been installed over all creation. Um, but in this moment, the nations and the rulers start trembling, right? And it's not, it's not because God has started hurling lightning bolts at them, but it's because they've been reminded of this truth that no matter how much power they amass they're never going to be able to outshine the reign of God. And so we see the psalmist then speaking the words of the Lord into this situation. He says, I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. So the psalmist steps in and speaks the word of the Lord both to the wise and powerful and to the ones who are in need of consolation. Um, inviting us to claim this inheritance as a child of God. And what struck me, there's, there's always just a couple words that pop out, but what really struck me was that in the middle of this, he says, ask me and I will do this for you. Um, just like... Uh, like we see kind of all stacked up throughout the Bible, right? But God wants that, that relationship of us coming to ask him 
when we're in these stressful situations, right? When we're asking who's in control of this and where is the power coming from and why has this become so difficult in my life? He says, ask me and all of this will become your inheritance, right? And inheritance isn't something that you get right now, but it's something that you're going to receive when the time is right and that you can kind of rest knowing that it belongs to you. Um, because the, the children who are hunkered down in the sandbox, right? Like, so stuck right here that you don't know that the whole yard is yours. And you've got room to play and dance and grow and make up silly games with your siblings and all those sorts of things because you don't have to worry about who owns the property. Um, it's, it's already yours. So God here expands our imagination of our inheritance, right? We're stuck defending our swing sets and our systems and our structures and everything that we're so proud of. And he says, when you come into my strength, what looks like strongholds of power are going to be broken down like pottery. They're, they're going to be nothing. They're going to be something that throws on the ground and, and gets smashed. Um, and we begin to enter into this through prayer, right? In the Lord's Prayer, we begin, our Father, holy is your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done. And that's where we start to invite this different way of looking at power in the world. Um, I think a lot of times in prayer, and I've, I've gone through this over and over again, but I want to start with, Lord, holy is your name, my kingdom come. Right? Like, I've got some ideas. I've got some real good ideas. I, you know, submit them on sort of a weekly basis to God, and most of them get... Uh, returned with copious notes, but but I say, God, you know, we're we're sort of praying for our own individual kingdoms, right? And this isn't like don't pray for the people around you, don't pray for your church, don't pray for your city, um, but don't pray that those things will be shaped in the way that you imagine them, right? Like pray that they will be shaped in the way that God intended them, and that He will shape your heart to. Uh, to understand and be part of the work that's happening as a part of his kingdom in those places, um, which helps release a lot of the anxiety of carrying your own agenda because in, in the culture we've sort of developed, um, especially when most of our more, uh, more serious interactions come through the internet, um, it can be very easy to say, this is my agenda, this is what I stand for, this is what I have to, have to fight for, and God says, that's good. I mean, like, the sandbox is great. I, want, I love that you love the sandbox, but there's some, there's some other stuff going on here that I want to invite you to pay attention to and invite you to be a part of. Um, so as we wind down the psalm, then we hear this exhortation to the powerful. He says, Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son, or he will be angry, and your way will lead to your destruction, for his wrath can flare up in a moment. That's not how the psalm ends. We got one more line, but we're going to wrestle this for just a second. Um, and here, what I think is especially encouraging to those of us who get stressed out by people in power is that we find the rulers put in their place. Right? And it's not, it's not that they're immediately removed from power, um, again, we see the total absence of the divine lightning bolt, which is so popular um, in cartoon images of God, but makes very few appearances in the Bible. Um, the rulers, 
they're not, they're not inherently evil. Um, but the ones who don't understand that their power has been a gift from God and that their place is as servants of the Lord and stewards of the work of the kingdom can't flourish in God's world. And this is where you start to see in different, um, different political systems, especially rulers get very anxious and, and their moves become a bit more frenetic and it looks like they're sort of grabbing for things, right? And um, this is where you see that in the absence of following the way of God, injustice, mercy, compassion, and humility, it's very difficult to sustain uh, a political system or a church system or a company or whatever system you're most comfortable with. It's very difficult to sustain that um, for, uh, for an extended period of time. And so the exhortation to the rulers is to be wise and take this as a warning. And going back, for, for those of us who are in leadership roles, going back to the wisdom of the Psalms and the Proverbs and marinating in the gospel and following the way of Jesus in leadership um, are all ways to celebrate and fear the rule of God rather than getting stressed out about our own. Um, which leads us to the benediction, which actually bookends uh, Psalm 1 as well, if you read them together. The psalmist says, Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. And it's easy to look at this psalm and think, I'm off the hook. I'm not running a nation right now, right? Like we're all kind of... It's, it's easy to put that out there. Um, and I would argue that many of us actually hold positions of power and influence that are comparable to, uh, to the way that kingdoms worked back in the day, right? Whether it's a, a team that you work with at work or an authority role that you have within uh, your family or your community, or if somebody here is running a small country, please come talk to me afterwards. I'd love to hear how that's going. Um, <laughs> but in, in perspective for the rest of us, this anxiety of the kings and rulers and their sort of frenetic scrambling to put things together can cause a lot of anxiety amongst the populations. And again, I'm going to leave it real open, but sometime in the last 10 years, you've probably experienced that. And so for me, I take a lot of strength in this reminder that the plots of the peoples are ultimately in vain, right? Go back to the first verse. Why do they, why do they plot in vain? And that God is more powerful than any of the rulers, and that ultimately our inheritance lies in his kingdom. So no matter what happens, um, when we feel like the kings and rulers are somehow plotting against us, I would encourage us to do something which, which feels a little scary, it's a little risky, but take this psalm and pray it over the people in power who really stress you out. Um, for me, as I was working through the psalm this week, I saw... A lot of things come up in the news um, that were stressful in a lot of different ways. And coming back to this psalm to pray over the people of whose actions I was most afraid at that time, um, praying over the people in power that they would see the fragility of their standing before God and that they would also be able to use the power that they have for the good of the kingdom changes a lot of your perspective and a lot of what's in your heart um, about political leaders anywhere on the spectrum. Um, because our hope is not actually in politics and power 
national boundaries, personal boundaries, uh, all of those sorts of things. Again, we, we get so focused up on defending our swing sets, and we're very, very proud of them, and they've got at least, you know, like six pieces of lumber in there, so they took a while. Um, and and that, <laughs> that turns into the way we interact with the world, right? We, we desire to build and maintain and be validated by systems, um, by our governments, by our, I've learned this working through the uh, <laughs> master's level educational system, right? You want that validation, you want that shiny piece of paper at the end of it to somehow prove that you've racked up a bunch of extra knowledge. Um, we look for this validation from our, even our, our family systems and our social systems and all, all of these different things that we have faith in, and it takes away our ability to dance with the word and listen to the spirit. Because when you come to any text that's something like this with whatever your baggage is, whatever your system is, whatever you've built into it, it becomes very difficult to hear the voice of God. And um, all the while we're stressed out about all these systems, God's inviting us to walk in step with him in reigning over the kingdom. And this kingdom, for those of you who have spent a little bit of time in the Gospels, this kingdom springs from a mustard seed, right? It doesn't start with a, a fortified steel structure over here. It starts with this tiny, tiny little seed. And to take refuge in God, we have to seek out those still, small places and trust that the seeds that look the smallest and the least impressive are going to be the places of greatest growth um, if we guard them and nurture them and tend them and so forth. Coming back in this psalm, we also see that the prophets and the psalmists and the prayer warriors and the people of God are strengthened by this courage to ask. Um, To ask for inheritance among the nations. To ask for breaking of oppressive, unjust, and ungodly systems of power. We can come to these psalms very focused on our own patterns of obedience and redemption. Um asking questions about our own salvation and and the difficulties we're experiencing in our own lives, and lose sight of God's invitation to join him in his work, which goes over the nations and kingdoms and around the world. And it's encouraging to hear, because I've found so much of this through the time that I've spent in service. When I was working in eastern Kentucky, I spent a lot of time with the elderly in their homes, um, And to even know what it's going to mean for y'all to go over and play board games once a month with folks who maybe don't don't get out of that space a lot, maybe don't have a lot of socialization. Um, That's a picture of the kingdom, right? Like, that's a mustard seed. That's what we get pumped up about. And we let the world kind of keep doing its thing, you know? Like, spin on its axis, get wound up about stuff, write a million bills and resolutions to prove whatever it is you want to prove, but the people of God get to run around planting mustard seeds because we know whose kingdom this is, right? Um, and there's, there's so much joy that flows through that. And um, we receive this same blessing in this psalm that Jesus does, right? Like, you are my son. Today I have become your father. Like, relax, it's okay. Like, I'm, I'm taking care of the whole kingdom beginning, right? Like, I'll give you the work that you need to do. Um, I'll guide you in the ways that you need to go. And ultimately, 
the rulers and nations have no power over you. So our ultimate response to all of this is to take refuge in Jesus. And as we look at the kings and systems and powers that we've set up around the world, and then look at Jesus, (laughs) we're reminded that he's still not the king any of us are looking for. Right? When, When Messiah comes, and other translations of this psalm actually use the word Messiah specifically, but when he comes, he doesn't come with plots or schemes or agendas. He doesn't seek out a scapegoat for the things he thinks are wrong in the world. He doesn't try to reclaim power by force. He takes the burden of reconciliation upon himself, bringing God's kingdom, casting down the mighty, lifting up the lowly. So in him and through him, we look upon the work we do and the work we do not understand with fear and trembling, but also with a great and glorious hope. Um, So my prayer for us today would be that when we look at the systems of anxiety and machinations and fear and politics um, that are spinning around the world, we can rest with the freedom of not having to attempt to rise above and be in control of them, um, but to take rest as, as children of God, whose kingdom it has been all along.